If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnBest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. It's Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, I want you to meet Austin Allred co-founder and CEO of Lambda School, the startup that's pioneering a full new model of higher education. Rather than pay up front, students pay a portion of their income after they're hired. Austin has deep technical expertise, both as a co-founder and growth marketer. He participated in Y Combinator in 2017 and has since raised nearly $50 million in venture funding. Let's welcome Austin. Hi, Austin. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been following Lambda School for a while now. I think what you're doing is really, really groundbreaking. And so just for the hundreds of thousands of people listening to this podcast, can you just give us a sense in what is Lambda School in your own words? Yeah, at a high level, we train people to be software engineers, data scientists, and designers uh, for no upfront tuition. Uh, so students only pay us back if they get a job that pays them more than $50,000 a year. Um, if they do, they'll pay us a percentage of their income for a couple of years capped at $30,000. Um, if not, then they pay us nothing. That's amazing. I want to start back in the early days. Where did you come up with the idea and then how did it evolve to get to the model that you just described? So before I started Lambda School, I was working at, at a lending company, uh, running a lot of the growth stuff there. So it was a mix of, you know, we need to acquire users, but we also need to, you know, lend money to people who are likely to pay it back. Um, so that was the, the name of that game. And I, I really originally started Lambda School just because I wanted to go do my own thing. And we hadn't truly thought through the, you know, the model that we use today. It was just another uh, cash up front code school. But as we started to get to know students better and get to know what their needs are, we realized that they were thinking almost entirely about risk and what is the likelihood that this works out for me. And if I knew it would work out, I would pay even more. But I, you know, the goal was to not pay and then have it not work out. So having spent a lot of time at a lending company where you're managing all sorts of risk and you're thinking about portfolios and kind of made us think, why is there not a school that actually owns the risk of the students not being successful? And so we, we started out, you know, we were charging $10,000 up front. Um, and we sent out an email to our kind of our email base uh, a couple months after we got started saying, what if we tried an experiment where you pay us $1,000 up front, and if you're successful in getting a job, you pay us $10,000 after that? And students were thrilled at that idea. So actually, we got into YC just on the idea of, you know, we don't have enough money to do this really yet, but what if we made it totally free up front and just flipped the entire model on its head? And we got into YC by the skin of our teeth, I think, and then uh, just started from there. Um, first of all, so I, I feel like one thing that's really um, beautiful about the story is that you, you have that anecdote, which is you emailed you know, some of the early users and said, hey, what if you only pay 1000 And then if you actually get a job, you pay $10,000 um, and, and kind of flipping the whole model on its head. What that really, like, is is you 
you found product market fit, right? Where you had super happy customers, a business model that's kind of novel. Um, did you know that instantly? Like once you saw the feedback coming in that night or that day or that week when you were actually reading it, like how obvious was that to you in that moment? Oh, it was super clear. Um, I, I think I, I, it's hard to know the depth of the product market fit when you first stumble upon something. Um, and it, it, it kind of just stands to reason. It's obvious to all of us that you know, if there's a school that's willing to guarantee that you don't pay tuition unless you're successful, obviously there's going to be demand there, right? I, I often think about, you know, Amazon never questioned that if they could offer free two-day shipping, everybody would want it. The question is, how can you make that possible and feasible as a business? Um, so, you know, we went a step beyond, and it probably stems from, you know, my user acquisition and growth roots. The easiest way to grow student body is to say, hey, it doesn't cost anything up front. Correct. Um, then you have to go <laughs> it's to shock work on It's shocking how the free sale works, yeah. <laughs> a sustainable business, yeah. So, Austin, walk us through your journey of really figuring out the business model that could make this work. Yeah, so honestly, in the early days, it was just, okay, what, what percentage should it be? Um, because we'd never used an income share agreement before and really nobody had ever figured it out. No one knew how anything was going to perform. So it was just me sitting in a spreadsheet, plugging in a bunch of different assumptions saying, you know, what will this net out to? How fast will the cash return? Um, how much do we need to put into this to make it work? Um, and by the way, we were totally wrong. <laughs> um, but it gave us enough of a jumping off point that we could say, all right, let's say a student gets a job for $75,000 a year. Um, they'll pay us back over the course of a couple of years, $25,000. So if we can get half of our students to that point, um, baking in a little financing price, you know, it gets us to the, to the place where uh, it's a sustainable company. Um, and, you know, we were, we were wrong in all of our assumptions, but we were close enough that you could you know, fix things and, and make it work. Um, but in the early days, there was really no way of knowing. No one had ever, you know, there weren't, there weren't very many income share agreements, serve income share agreements in existence. Um, so you're trying to underwrite an asset class that doesn't exist, and that's just pretty difficult. Um, so we kind of just went into it saying, all right, let's, you know, put our stake in the ground here. You know, when we went out and talked to the other schools saying, hey, we want to do this thing. It's going to be entirely online. Everybody said, you know, online schools just don't work. So, you know, don't do it. And they said, and we want to try this thing that's free up front. And they said, you know, we dabbled with free up front a little bit. It doesn't work. The only way you know if a student is committed is if they'll write a check. Don't do it. And we said, actually, we're going to try them both at the same time. And the <laughs> Since that day, I think the schools have just been hoping that we'll die somehow and go away. As quickly as possible, yeah. They're, yeah, they're not going to risk the entire company on a bet like that. Um, and in retrospect, it's obvious why. Um, it's super, super difficult to make work. Um, but we were so deep into it that we couldn't back out, so we just have to figure it out. <laughs> There's this quote that I love, which is, if you know what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur and how hard it gets, you never start. Um, <laughs> and... I feel like once I had heard that after being kind of where you are and building my own businesses, um, you're like, shit, that's pretty accurate. So I appreciate your honesty of like, you were so deep into it. You're like, we just gotta go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I, I want to go into like what does Lambda School offer for people? It's so it's a fully remote program. Why did you decide to do that? And give people a sense of like what kind of classes do you really offer? Yeah. So, so in the back of my mind, so I moved to San Francisco um, from a small town in rural Utah, uh, kind of six thousand people, um, a, you know, a lot of farms. There's a little community college and, and really not much else. Um, so I wanted, you know. I wanted to build something that could address the market of the folks I knew back there, right? What if somebody there wanted to uh, become a programmer? Because those traditionally those smaller towns are the ones being left behind by the you know new new industrial revolution, if uh, if we could say that. Um, so as I thought about that person as our customer base, it's clear that they're not going to be able to move somewhere unless it's fully subsidized or very subsidized. So, you know, if you're used to making $30,000 a year, you're not going to go move to San Francisco on a whim. Um, so online was step one, not to mention the scalability of online just makes so much more sense. Um, and then the other thing was, you know, there has, we have to be able to work with you where you are and you, you're not going to have a ton of cash sitting around. Um, so th those are really the things that we were thinking about is how can you serve that audience and turns out that audience is enormous. Give us a sense of how big you think that audience is here in America. So if you find a company that wants to hire a software engineer and there are companies everywhere trying to hire software engineers and you draw a 50 mile radius around that spot. First of all, if you went to that company and said, if you could hire unlimited qualified software engineers they're going to they're going to have a parking spot they're going to show up at work every day and you have an unlimited supply of them you know they're all qualified what would you do and almost every company that you talk to would grow their entire company base by double digit percentages right so there's the outstanding demand for software engineering talent is huge is and incredible. understaffed but even Under, yeah. bigger than that are the people who would hire more than if, if they existed and then if you you know Put a pin in that business and draw a 50 mile radius around it and ask how many people in that radius are making less than 50k and would be a good software engineer obviously it's you know it's outrageous um so we we think the opportunity is in the millions of people per year and that may not all be software engineering it may be software engineering in other fields at some point yep um but but software alone is certainly in the hundreds of thousands of americans per year yeah, I mean, I, I I think, you know, if you compare the number of engineers here in the United States to the number of engineers that are in China, uh, it you know, China has 10x the number of engineers. If you think about every single hire that any company of any kind needs as digital literally takes over anything that exists, um, right. it's, 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 you're feeding a never-ending mouth um, where we need to pick up the pace and, and go faster. So um, one question I had for you is like, what else could Lambda School do beyond engineering and software? You came up with a model that could be applied to everything. And so how do you guys think about that as you think about growing your, your educational base? Yeah, so the way that I think about it is if you look at um, the, the shortages um, for specific job types. So, for example, one of the biggest ones right now is nursing. There's a shortage of I think it's five or six million nurses in the U.S., which is crazy um, given that it's not, you don't have to have 
a super high IQ or a PhD to be a nurse. You just have to be, you know, a good personal person and learn some stuff. Um, so I think the average American could become a nurse, right? Um, so it's pretty crazy that the average American, there's a job that has a shortage that's in the millions, um, actually greater than the total number of unemployed in the U.S. Um, at this, according to the existing statistics, um, at the same time, there are millions of people who are making less than what that role pays, and there's nobody moving you from point A to point B. Um, so, you know, if you take a, just take a look at where the biggest job shortages are by category, um, I would basically just work my way down there. Um, so a lot of it is in medicine right now. Yep. Uh, for some for some reason, millennials are not studying medicine at anywhere near the rates that um, the prior generations were, and, and Gen Y is even worse than millennials, actually. Yep. Um, and at the same time, boomers are getting old, and the amount of healthcare necessary is growing super, super fast. Um, so healthcare is one that I think about a lot, but, I mean, you can take Lambda School into basically literally every other um, field, whether it's marketing or sales or customer service or financial um, analysis, wh whatever it is you want to do, there, there's demand there. So Austin, I want to ask you a question because I think you have been so effortlessly almost disruptive to our education system. How do you think about what education will look like in 10 years? If you had to like make that prediction and have the crystal ball, what's your prediction? Yeah, at a high level, it's options, right? Um, right now, higher education or post-secondary education is largely seen as, you know, there's universities that are four years, and then there's everything else. And that makes so little sense for the, the economy that we need today. I think there will be, you know, three-month programs, there will be year-long programs, there will be eight-year-long programs, there will just be options for whatever you would like. I think for a vocational school to survive, the vocational school is going to have to have skin in the game. So schools that can only charge upfront tuition are going to be swallowed up by schools that are willing to hold some of the risk. Finally, I think we'll see a lot more move online. We're finally figuring out how to make instructional design actually work on the internet. In the early days, it was just MOOCs and just videos, and we found that that didn't work but we're figuring out the interactive environments that can actually do a better job than uh, an in-classroom environment. And that's been a, been a big breakthrough that I think is not very widely distributed yet. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Austin, I want to talk a little bit about your approach to fundraising. As I mentioned, you'd raised $30 million Series B. You had some great investors between YC, Peter Thiel, and others. I want to quickly just get a sense. You had said that in the past you'd had a bad experience with venture in your previous startup. How would you characterize the lessons that you've learned around venture funding? 
there are definitely some missteps with my last company that fall on me. There's definitely some weird VC behavior that is frowned upon by everybody in Silicon Valley. But I think for me, the takeaway was that, A, I can only control what I can control. I can't control what VCs do. And reputational risk isn't enough to stop people from doing weird things. So at the end of the day, you have to build a business that's so strong that there are a lot of people willing to fund it. And you know, with both our Series A and our Series B, both of those were preemptive. We never had a pitch deck. We never had anything. But the, the business was so strong that it was just obvious. You know, the thinking in the back of my mind is, you know, if you talk to any investors and they're going to have questions around specific things, the, the job of a founder is to run into that darkness and just work as hard as you can on solving those risks that make everybody nervous. And as you de-risk and de-risk and de-risk, you reach a point at which, you know, obviously someone's going to fund you at a certain price, and then it becomes a race to see who can fund you. And that's, that's when the leverage flips, and that's when companies get what they want. You know, when we raised our seed round, it was really easy because we were cash flow positive and we didn't need to raise anything. And um, that's the best position to be fundraising in. And um, really since then, I've tried to only raise in a position where I'm in control. Got it. Um, so let's shift now to you. Do you feel like you've always known you've been an entrepreneur? Tell us a little bit about where you grew up. Tell us about your childhood. Um, kind of what makes you you? Yeah, I, I pretty much always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. Back when I was 13, I created an eBay account when eBay was a brand new thing. I actually got a PayPal account with a full credit card when I was 13, which I don't know if that's legal or possible, um, <laughs> but I did. Um, yeah, so I was selling stuff on eBay and you know, kind of grew up online. So I always knew I was going to start some sort of company. Um, I admit I did not expect it would be in the education space. I kept waiting for somebody else to, to solve it. I've always been really bothered by education and student loans. And after a while, no one else was doing it. So I figured I'd try my hand. What do you feel like if you have to look backwards have been some of the most important things that you've adapted or the, the ways you've evolved um, over the last few years as you've been scaling your team and, and kind of really taking the hill of entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things of a company that's you know grown as fast as ours, so we went from basically 40 employees to 160 employees in 12 months. So we went from really no executive team to a fully built out executive team, which for I think for the CEO is the most important aspect of what the team looks like. So I kind of moved from, you know, I'm the person in the weeds doing all the work. And if something needs to happen, I need to be there directly to I need to learn how to delegate and I need to learn how to pass on authority and focus on making sure communication is clear and we're working on the right we're focusing on the right data um, and we're focusing on the right goals, um, which is very different. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to learn as a founder. And then honestly, I think I stepped too far back to where my, like I, I not only delegated, but I wasn't as involved as I should have been. So it's, it's always um, difficult to, to balance that, right? Knowing how much I should be in the weeds versus how much I should just trust the folks around me and it's a it's a delicate balance because you you, want, you need them to take ownership and you need them to handle things because you can't physically be there um but when you're there you need to stay leaned in um so that's been that's been pretty difficult for me to learn um and you know obviously when you're 
a 20 person company being a CEO is so, so, so different than when you're, you know, now we're 175 and it's just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, my job changes every two months, um, pretty drastically. And I'm just trying to learn as fast as I can. And there are, you know, thousands of people reliant on me being able to do that. Um, and it's, it's fun, but it's hard. Um, when you think about, uh, what helps keep you sane? Is it sleep? Is it exercise? Is it getting a break? I mean, what are the tools that you figured out are like the Austin toolkit to kind of be able to like handle all of the different storms that come with building a business? Yeah, they're, they're kind of three things. Um, one is hanging out with my family. Um, so I've got two kids, a four-year-old daughter and almost a two-year-old son. Um, you and, and I are so in, we're in it. I've got the same. I have an almost five year old, an almost two year old, and an almost one year old. Oh man! I mean, you're you're more in it than I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a. I mean, it's really easy to come back down to earth, and you know they're not worried about uh, your company financials. They're not your kids. Don't care at all about your OKRs. So um, it's good to spend a little time with them. And then I I read a lot. Um, and kind of read and meditate a lot. And then only recently, only the past three or four months, I've discovered that what everybody says about how important exercise is, is actually true. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've, yeah, I've started working out very regularly and um, taking care of myself physically. And that's made a big difference. I always found exercise has nothing to do with your body. It's all your mind. Um, 100%. And like allowing yourself. Um, my kind of biggest lesson I learned is pretty much you get punched in the face almost once a day when you're the CEO. Like just something really unfortunate is happening that like really bums you out because you're a human. Um, and like being able to have exercise, it like depletes an edge where I couldn't get that worried or that anxious. Um, and that was kind of my, my key lesson. Um, so just going back to you, if it's a Sunday night and like you're looking at the week of Lambda School and you're super excited, why is it? What's happening in the week that just like like forces you like a rocket out of bed in the morning? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it all comes back to the students. Like what are we doing to make students' lives better? What products are we shipping to, um, you know, it's a – Lambda School is an enormous responsibility in that if we if we succeed, we change a student's life, and if we fail, we fail. It it's super super painful. Um, so I'm the thing that gets me out of bed is just knowing that you know there are thousands of students on the other side, and if we can make their lives a little bit better, um, I mean the, the impact is so immediate. So so I. I get most excited when we're doing something student-facing that the students realize and appreciate and um, affects them in some way. Um, so I want to just uh, kind of wrap it up with a few uh, kind of uh, uh, core questions that I always like to ask. Um, and the first is like, what was the biggest pinch me moment uh, for Lambda School where you were like, holy moly, I can't believe that happened. What was it to date? I think the, the biggest moment was when I went to lunch with Patrick Collison I love um, the co-founder of Stripe. And he's someone that like, I, I think he's probably the most well-respected person in Silicon Valley right now. Um, and he just saw something on Twitter and reached out. Um, and, you know, I was just kind of walking him through everything at Lambda School. And he was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. Like, I want to invest. Let me know what I can do. 
Um, and that kicked off. That eventually became our Series A. But just like, um, f- for me, it was like, these are the people that I've always looked up to. Uh, and there, there are a number of folks that, you know, I used to consider my role models and now I consider my friends. Um, and realizing, A, that they take me and what I'm doing seriously and B, that like, to some degree, we're on the same page now. I mean, not that Lambda School is Stripe by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, you know, other founders that I've always looked up to that now, like, you know, we go to each other for advice has been really crazy to me. Um, I think that's a great story and, and, and such a real one. Um, I love it. Um, I want to talk about as you've been building your team from zero to 175, knowing that at this point you don't get to interview everybody, but people, you know, you're building your company kind of brick by brick, person by person. What do you think is the most important interview question that you have learned is kind of your core interview question that really gets to the heart of who somebody is? Ooh, um, I should have a good answer for that, and I don't. Um, <laughs> I think um, something along the line, like I like to know how people act and behave in times of trial in times of when you know it's it's really easy to do the right thing um until you know the chips are down and the rubber's meeting the road and it feels like everything's falling apart and i i like to understand what people do in those scenarios i think fundamentally a lot of um what makes a company successful is how people react emotionally or not emotionally to difficult things or frustrating information or missing goals or something like that when everything isn't panning out the way that you'd planned. I love to hire folks that in that moment will dig deep and figure it out. And I try to shy away from folks who kind of crumple under the pressure and give up. And I think that's probably for both our employees and our students, the single most important trait. If I can find someone who will double down and work harder when the going gets tough, I'll, I love betting on those people. I've seen it all of the different ways myself, and I, I think I love that you were like, I don't really have a great interview question, and then you're like, actually, I have the core, amazing, perfect, on the point, <laughs> um, which is like, when the world gets hard, how do you behave? Um, I think it's a, a, a wonderful one, Austin. Um, last few questions here. Um, if there's one thing that keeps you up at night, what is it? Uh, students who aren't successful. Um, that's a great question. Uh, if you were going to pay it forward to an entrepreneur starting a company today, what is the one piece of advice you would tell them? Um, I mean, first thing I would tell them is, I don't really know anything and neither does everybody else. Um, but after that, I would say, um, figure, uh, actually the, the main piece of advice I would say is, you know, there are going to be things that you're terrified about in your company, run toward them instead of away from them. Um, I call it L-I-T-T-P, lean into the pain. <laughs> lean into yeah. the pain. Wake up every morning, you know exactly your worst thing that is really worrying you. Do it first and do it fully. Yep. 
Um, run into the fire, not out. Um, I, I love that. Uh, so just last question here. Other than Lando School, what's one startup where they're really early that you would want to just give a shout out to because you think there's something special happening? Um, let's see. In the education space, um, I'm a big fan of Prenda. Um, so they do uh, kind of micro schools that are relatively student-led um, for K through eight. Um, I think that space is just dying for somebody to go innovate somehow. Um, let's see. So I really like Prenda. Um, and outside of education, younger companies, um, nobody really comes to mind. I, I spend too much time in the, in the education space and with <laughs> older companies. Uh, Prenda sounds like a great one. I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, so finally, thank you so much for joining us today, Austin. Everybody out there listening, uh, if you hadn't already heard of Lambda School, you absolutely should know it. You should check it out at lambdaschool.com. If you are out there listening and want to learn a new skill online and uh, be aligned with the school that you go to, check out Lambda School. Uh, and join us next week for Inc. the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Thank you so much, everybody, and thank you so much, Austin.